Attention everyone, this is an emergency broadcast. The unpleasant noise you are about to hear coming from your radio is not a mistake. Please do not turn off your radio, but turn up the volume on your receiver as high as it can go so that you can make the sound we broadcast as loud as possible. Welcome to episode number 50 of the Kaiju Cast, a bi-monthly podcast, 100% dedicated to Godzilla and all of his rubber-suited foes. My name is Kyle, and I'll be your host uh, along with my co-host, Heather. Say hello, Heather. Hello. Uh, and this is the Daikaiju discussion episode for January 2012. We're going to be talking about Godzilla X Mothra X Mechagodzilla Tokyo SOS uh, in just a little bit. Uh, we are going to kind of move things along very quickly because we had so many submissions for the discussion. Uh, we just need to get, get this whole thing going. So what I thought it would be interesting to do would be to uh, have all the, almost all the music for tonight be uh, nothing but Machiro Ish- Oshima's music. She's the composer for Godzilla X Megaguirus, Godzilla X Mechagodzilla, and Godzilla X Mechagodzilla, Mothra X Mechagodzilla Tokyo SOS. Um, and not only because I think she's an amazing composer and did such an amazing job on those films soundtracks, uh, but just because I thought it would be interesting to sort of hear how she progressed in those three films. And so we're going to go ahead and start things off, uh, with a song from Megaguirus called Immortal Godzilla.
and that's all we're playing. This the those two songs right there. That was uh, started off with Immortal Godzilla from Godzilla X Mechagirus, and then followed that up with Running Wild uh, from Godzilla X Mechagodzilla. And I'm seriously like I say this while we're talking about the movie and the Dekaiju discussion as well. But um, I truly believe that Machiro Machiro Ishima is probably. I mean, I don't want to say she's the best because Ifukube really needs to hold that title, but I like her much better than Masaru Sato, who did, um, oh, uh, he did all the sort of like island episode, island movies like um, Godzilla vs. the Sea Monster, Godzilla, Son of Godzilla, um, et cetera, et cetera. So um, it, just, she's just really great. And she's and she's a woman. A little, little bit of a female empowerment there maybe for, for, the, for the ladies. I don't know. Um, but excellent stuff. Uh, Godzilla Mothra Mechagodzilla Tokyo SOS is the 27th Japanese produced Godzilla film. It was released by Toho in December of 2003, uh, 2003 and was directed by Masaki Tezuka. The film was a direct sequel to the 2002 Godzilla X Mechagodzilla and is the only film in the six entry Millennium series to be a direct sequel to that film before it. We should probably just go ahead and start. So here's how that went down. Joining me joining us <laughs> in the studio tonight we have uh aside from myself cindy okimoto say hi cindy hello <laughs> and <laughs> justin turner hey how's it going uh of the going last podcast yep heather brask my co-host with the most hello everyone i just made that up i think <laughs> it's maybe not well no you didn't make that up because i i am the co-host with the most it was correct right okay, cool. where your other co-host is the co-host with the least <laughs> yeah, the one who didn't show up. <laughs> what a jerk. Jeff. Uh, Jeff missed a Mothra movie, you guys. Uh-oh. Shame. Totally not cool. Shame. Uh, and then uh, Tiger, whose favorite... This is your favorite movie here, right? Yep. All right. Favorite Godzilla movie. Yeah. Okay. I have I have a favorite movie. It's not a Godzilla movie, though. Okay. Well, we're just going to talk about the Godzilla Nobody's movies tonight. Nobody's perfect. It's okay. <laughs> Okay, so uh, so we just finished watching Tokyo SOS, which um, I I just have to say, like just right out of the gate, this is one of the one of the more perfect Godzilla films, in my opinion. I really really enjoy it, and I really like how um, I really like how Mizaki Tezuka does his action, and I really like how uh, the the movie is shot and how it looks, and I love the effects, and I love the music, and um, I have a question. Go ahead. During the and I feel like you're kind of getting getting that direction, but I just I wanted I wanted to ask was uh, in the while we were watching it, you said that this is you know close close to perfect, mm-hmm. and so is it is it his uh, is it the way that he uses emotion that makes it not perfect, or what what exactly for you makes it not a perfect Godzilla movie? Yeah, I mean the the emotion is definitely something. I mean that's that's a really big thing for me because. Um, they, they do these things where, uh, you know, they just sit there and yell like Mechagodzilla or Mothra, Chuo. And just <laughs> to me that that's not how you convey emotion. And you, that's not how you convey emotion well in a film either. You, you don't convey emotion by yelling? I, I normally don't. Uh, yeah, I do. We've been, yeah. Oh, I was going to say, we, we've been doing this all wrong. Right, okay. right, yeah. I'll just randomly just scream in the house whenever I'm feeling a little okay. blue or something. It's a boxing match. Yeah. It, well, for me, the other thing is um, there are a couple of things in the movie that just almost seem out of place. And um, 
Like, I don't mind the levitation, like when the little kid drops the plane and the fairies levitate it back up to his hands. I don't really mind that so much. I don't mind the backpack sort of coming out of the out of the um, out of the rocks. But the fact that the little the little Mothra symbol turned into like a little compass to show him where to go and um, yeah, just stuff like that. Too unrealistic. Yeah, is that is that <laughs> yeah. stupid for me to say when I'm watching a Godzilla right. movie? Because right. you know, I'll, like I'll buy the I'll buy the tiny twin princess miniature fairy girls that that I'll buy. But the fact that they can levitate stuff just hold the phone. <laughs> no, no, no. The levitation I'm I'm kind of okay with. It's the fact that like that, kind of okay. That magic rock is a GPS. Exactly. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and I don't know. I mean, I'm well. They had to have some kind of way to tell direction before gps magic rock seems like a pretty viable possibility yeah i want to say there's something else but it kind of escapes didn't me. didn't science kill magic isn't that how it works so before all the technology we had magic and now we're just left with stupid well, siri well i think uh magic is is technology right so before before people knew it was technology they called it magic and so this is just otherworld technology this is way too right. deep for me <laughs> Potato, potato. With too much philosophy. Kyle. Getting meta with, with Mothra. <laughs> uh, I, I, I did have a question about this film. Um, it, it, when, the, when the two twins came up at the beginning, they said Mothra was going to attack and destroy the city if they didn't send the bones to the bottom of the ocean. They didn't send the bo- bones to the bottom of the ocean. So why, why did Mothra come and help them instead of destroy them? Because the kid called them, right? <clears throat> called yeah. to Mothra, right? Yeah, it's a, sort of a hollow threat, I guess, you know empty okay. empty promises yeah it, it, it just seemed weird to me that all of a sudden uh mothra was helping fight godzilla as opposed to destroying the city with godzilla well i just kind of assumed that it was because because uh, i don't remember his name the little boy uh kid kid yeah uh, don't call me uncle kid um <laughs> i i assumed that it was because he made the symbol and it was you know like like Mothra was, you know, well, Mothra was on on her way to destroy the city, but then this kid stepped up and was like, "Please, Mothra, help us." And Mothra was like, "Oh, how can I say no to that?" He built a symbol <laughs> out of desks. It's possible. Look I mean, how, I don't know. I just I, I look agree, at how though. industrious he is. I mean, it's sort of like this this thing that they bring up right at the beginning of the movie. That's basically it's like, oh, if you can't uh, if you can't kill Me- or send Mechagodzilla's bones back to send Godzilla's bones back to the ocean then Mothra is going to destroy Tokyo I don't remember where we were now so he was an industrious child and was building okay. things out of desks yeah I mean I can't I don't really know if there's a if there's a real reason I mean it's, yes Mothra I'm sure took pity on the boy and on Tokyo was there any uh, significance to the fact that there was uh, two of the Mothras at the end? Is there? Is there? Because because it, it, the the twins were crying, I believe, during the the hatching of the twins. So wondering if there was a deeper meaning to that, like from previous films. I I know that there have been twins in uh, Mothra versus Godzilla. There were twins, and in uh, Godzilla versus Mothra, there were also twins. I think um, uh, I don't know. There was something. This I sort of kind of want to go back in time and like approach Tezuka, uh, the director, and say, "Hey, uh, that doesn't work, and that doesn't work, and don't do that." And um, specifically, the I thought that I don't know why, but my imagination while I was watching it was like, "Oh, it would be cool if like they were they were reading some sort of prophecy because 
the Mothra twins have often been sort of heralds of a prophecy. And uh, with this particular thing, like maybe it could have changed because, oh, there's twins now. That means something completely different. But, you know, that's just my imagination running wild and I'm not a filmmaker <laughs> yet. Um, if only Jeff was here that's my job (laughs) or Martin are you going to be a filmmaker Uh, you know in like 20 years or something someday in 20 years it's a good good goal man Uh, let's uh, let's get back into the regular sort of style of what we do when we do a Daikaiju (laughs) discussion Uh, see as soon as I show up I I ruin everything chaos ensues Uh, Cindy you'd seen this movie before oh yes Yes, and so uh, initial thoughts after we've already had shared some initial thoughts on the microphone. What 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 are your thoughts about this movie? This is probably one of my top four. Nice. I'd say. I am a big Mothra fan. Uh, probably not as big a Mothra fan as Jeff, who is missing this one. <laughs> well, just, everybody yeah. just keep ramming that in. <laughs> Uh, but you, but you really enjoy this film. And, uh, d- did you tell me about the first time you saw this? Was it on DVD? Obviously. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And it, it was unfortunately dubbed. Mm, yeah. That's kind of why I was playing. For, I prefer the subtitled. Um, the suits are great. Mothra's flight is amazing in this film. It actually, like you said, it looks realistic. Finally, we have some realistic looking wings moving. Yep. yep. Uh, Too bad Martin's not here to yeah. appreciate it. Womp, womp. Sad and trombone. this is probably the one thing, the first time I saw this film, I noticed this. And I noticed it again that when you get the first really good look at Godzilla's head, mm-hmm. this is probably one of the most evil, mean looking heads that they've done for the suit. Now, a lot of teeth up front, yeah. too, which is cool. Good, good, good look for Godzilla. Actually, this is speaking of the suit, speaking to the suit. Um, I, I was kind of an, I didn't really like the way that Godzilla looked in Godzilla 2000 and, um, and, uh, Godzilla X Megaguirus, which mm-hmm. Megaguirus for those sitting here and those that don't know was Tezuka's first Godzilla film. Um, the, the design of the Godzilla was okay, but I didn't like the extreme spikes and the fact that they were purple never really sat well with me, but I did like the, the head. And I just think that as the, as they progressed with that design, obviously they skipped one movie by putting Godzilla, Mothra, King Ghidra in the middle of those uh, three or those four with this sort of millennium style suit. They really sort of progressed the design and he got better each time. And all of my, pretty much all of my concerns, all of my concerns from the, uh, from the last film, Godzilla X Mecha Godzilla in the suit itself have been addressed. Like there's a lot of sort of very stiff motion and, he doesn't move very much. Uh, Tom Kitagawa is the suit actor inside, and he I felt like he was really restricted in Godzilla X Mechagodzilla, and this one, I there's only a couple of spots where I I saw something where I was like, eh, I could use a little more motion here. Like, Heather, you mentioned at one point when Mothra's, uh, when Mo- the Mothra larva were spraying uh, Godzilla, he, like, totally did that realistic, like, sort of look up, like, what's going on above me. Yeah, like, I, I don't, I can't imagine that the eyes actually, you know, rolled with the with the head because I don't think they have that much movement. I think they did actually. Did they? Because I I, I thought I I thought I imagined it. I thought it was just conveyed so well with the with the movement of uh of the the suit actor that it that it made me believe that I was seeing the eyes turn. I mean, I know that they do a lot in the 
um like the heisei movies clo- yeah, yeah but i i didn't i didn't think that i actually saw it but i i could just I could just be mistaken. The other thing about the eyes in this particular Godzilla film is that um, I and I can't remember if it was like this in versus Mecha Godzilla, but they did something different. The way that they constructed the eyes had had sort of a different uh, feel. It was almost an iridescence about the non pupil sections of the eye. And it looked I thought it looks fantastic. And I know for a fact that when he's underwater, he sort of opens his eye and moves it to the right. So I, I would assume that the suit did have eye motion. Well, and it's it's entirely possible that it did. I I felt, uh, I don't know. That was that was one of my that was probably one of my favorite things, like moments in the entire movie. Actually, was was that you know it sort of was like Godzilla was hoping that it was snowing and like didn't understand, <laughs> didn't understand. You know, he's like, what is what is is that snow? And it was just, it was just, yeah, it was kind of magical. Right on. So, Justin, you had not seen this film before, but no. you had, and uh, neither you nor Heather have seen Godzilla X Godzilla, but Justin has seen Megagirus, which was, as yes. I said, Tezuka's first foray into the Godzilla uh, genre. So, what what did you take away from from this particular film? Well, the <clears throat> the uh, the action scenes were really good. I I, I really liked the action between you know, the the various monsters. Um, they were you guys were just talking about the uh, Godzilla suit. Uh, I wasn't a I wasn't a big fan of its of its neck region where it kind of flays out like a cobra. Yeah, I I was not a big fan of that. I thought it kind of looked uh not not appropriate i don't know i i I like the rounded chest of the other godzillas um uh it's looking around for one yeah i'll I'll find one for you (laughs) but uh i i like i like this one i i like the sci-fi aspects of some of the older ones that we've seen like the first time we see mecha godzilla uh i think that's or uh when we meet king Ghidra. that one's still my favorite but um I don't know. I, See, I I like I like the neck flare because it seems like a. Well, you would. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, we've spent slightly too much time together today because I'm going to smack him, folks. Um, no, I I feel like it. I mean, it kind he's got other sort of tra- you know traditional reptilian, which he's okay, not you know, but. But you know, but I mean, look, look, but like, it's like, like that one right there. I I like the the, the, it, the chest and the neck of that one better. Which uh, is Justin is pointing to a Heisei Godzilla from from my collection here. Well, and I'm not necessarily saying that I like the neck flare better, but I'm saying that it doesn't it doesn't bother it you. doesn't bother me because okay. it seems like yeah. a natural protective right and also, kind also, of thing. I mean, it's your neck. Why wouldn't you have a little more? Why wouldn't why wouldn't evolution give you a little bit more uh, protection around such a vital area? Oh, that, I, I didn't say I had anything wrong with it. I don't think. I'm just stating a preference that I prefer that neck as opposed to the weird, uh, <laughs> as opposed <laughs> to the weird, <laughs> freaky. No, but I don't the have anything. Free, I don't see weird, anything wrong freaky, with it. Ugly, uncomfortable, stupid. No, I don't have anything. Wrong the with the it. happy couple, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Marital bliss in the new yeah, year. <laughs> but but I I I was I'm uh, I like this one. I don't know if I care to watch it again. Uh, I do like the the one, like I said, with King Ghidra, where we meet King Ghidra better. I like that kind of weird sci-fi, and then the one like with the Monkey Men. I can't remember the, the names of them. Oh, the, okay, so the Monkey Men is uh, Godzilla versus Mecha Godzilla from 1974. Right, I like that one, and then I like the 
oh, I'm gonna ruin, I'm gonna mess Monster it up. Zero. Monster Zero. <laughs> I like that one. The, pre- I like, yeah. the pressure was on there. Yeah, I, I like those two because I like the weird uh, outer space sci-fi element, and mm. you know, and this one didn't have that. And uh, you know, I enjoyed the film, but I think I'm, I'm I've latched on to those kinds of Godzilla films, and that's kind of what I want to see. I want to see the weird monsters from outer space, and and the UFOs coming down, and the weird monkey and lizard men trying to take over the world. But yes, that's I and I get that. I mean, I totally get that. Some of my favorite movies are are alien invasion Godzilla films, but uh, you they obviously can't all be that way. They can't all follow follow the formula. But uh, <laughs> no, but I but I did enjoy this one. So. Good, especially the fight scenes. Yes, great action in this film. Really great action. That that moment where Godzilla got flipped over Mechagodzilla's shoulder. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, I. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if there was a fight choreographer in this one, but it seemed to me that this film has much more inventive, but still somewhat based in feasibility uh, action, you know, fight scenes that, um, to be honest, I'd love when Godzilla picks up King Ghidra by the tail and starts slamming him into the ground. But I don't know the portion of my brain that sort of recognizes how physics work. <laughs> and let me be clear, that's a very, very small portion of my brain because I draw and not a science guy. But um, just set, it just kind of looks at that and goes, I don't know if that really could happen. But like when Mecha- Godzilla is like rushing Mechagodzilla and God- Mechagodzilla just bends down, shoulders Godzilla, and then flips him over. I, I was cheering in my I buy head that for, for a sure. dollar yeah, yeah that, that, that sure. totally makes I, sense I really liked Mothra's movements as well in this one it, it flew much quicker and it seemed a lot you know like we've mentioned before a lot more realistic uh, you know the, the, all the monsters don't always need to move slow yeah and it was kind of nice that you know when uh, Godzilla did the, the, the mouth beam at it uh, the Mothra just shot out of the way and yeah like, <laughs> poor Tokyo Tower so um tiger let's move on to you i mean you obviously oh no wait i sort of skipped heather (laughs) i'm a jerk uh heather what were your initial thoughts of this movie i mean you when the credits rolled and it was all said and done uh i i really liked it i think i think that my you know it's it i don't know if i just paid more attention to it because you pointed out the emotion but I uh well okay I think actually maybe my difference my my feelings with the emotional with the use of emotion in this movie was maybe a little bit different than what your what your issues are cuz mine was with the soundtrack mm-hmm. more so than anything because I I felt like there was not a lot of uh flow you know we we were in we we'd be in high high energy Mm-hmm. action mode and then all of a sudden it would be now you must be emotional and we go to very heavy very sappy emotion music and there yeah. was no really sort of in between there wasn't any kind of a build between the two it was just kind of and now we're here and now we're back over here and now it's emotion time and now it's action time and but do you feel that that is more like more more of like a sort of conglomerative effort between the direction and the soundtrack the score and the editing together of the scenes like because it i i understand what you're saying but like for me i don't know if i would i mean i don't clearly don't place the blame 
on Machiro Oshima, the, the composer for this film. But, you know, when you're scoring a movie, it's pretty much all cut together, I think. And they just have to score it to what they feel the, the flow of the film has to be. I just sort of picture, you know, like you're saying people yelling to convey yeah. emotion. I just picture the director off to the side going, you know, louder. You are sad, sadder, sadder yeah. than that, yeah. sadder than that. And so I sort of, I sort of picture, I sort of picture him doing the same thing to the, uh, you know, to the, to the orchestra, being like, no, it must be sadder than that. It There's m- sadder music. Sad. Yeah. This is sad. Make it sad. And it just that seemed, might be. I mean, I don't, I don't know how that works. I've never been no, part of an orchestra. Or neither do I. Any of that so stuff. that's. But it's very possible that uh, Tezuka came in and requested more or you know Oshima might have just done it and and uh, it is what it is in a sense right and I realize that you know a lot of movies have very different you know very different music from from one scene to the next to help with the emotional fill but for me a lot of scenes that had that emotional music I I found it really distracting from mm-hmm. the movie that I couldn't even actually get to the point of going why are they yelling because i was i was oh, too yeah, busy yeah. going what's with the heavy violin <laughs> <laughs> and now we come to tiger all right yay yay so tiger obviously one of your favorite movies of all time yes. and definitely your favorite godzilla film let's talk about that for a second so what is it about this film that that you really like and makes this top slot for the godzilla films one action scenes amazing I think they were very good. Two, I really like the soundtrack, even though I don't think Heather really liked it that much. <laughs> Sorry, Tiger. <laughs> um, and I have to agree um, with Tiger on this. Like, sure, maybe the the sappy sounds not so much, but the the Godzilla theme of Machiro Oshima is. I again, I've said this before. I feel guilty saying that I like it better than the Akira Fukube score. But it is so good, that whole boom, 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 boom. It's just a great, 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 great theme. Uh, what else do you like? Um, I, I like the stories. They're pretty good. I thought it was interesting on this one. Uh, usually it takes forever for a monster scene to happen. Like, you got to do some. There, you got to attack the city. Then you got to wait for the military. Then just a bunch of stuff. But a lot of a lot of exposition has to take place before a monster comes in. Yeah, he spotted stuff like that, but this just happened like halfway through the movie. A lot of action, right? Yeah, it takes a long time too. Big long monster fights, good stuff. Yeah, that was kind of cool. Yeah, very ugh, man. I seriously love this film very much. Uh, I I really do wish I could go back in time and just tap Masaki um, Tezuka on the shoulder and say, "Tone it down." Right there. That spot right there, no good. So if Kyle had the power to time travel, he would use it to backseat drive films. <laughs> I'd kill Hitler too, but okay. um, <laughs> as soon as Hitler's like last breath had been taken, I would then jump forward to 2002 and uh, have a conversation with Tezuka. Well, I haven't said that. And I, and, I, and I feel that I should say that, you know, that, that the score really did have some, some very impactful moments. I mean, it's... There's there's a lot of really great. I just I just really felt like the the emotion music was was heavy handed and it and it stuck out to me as being yeah. such. Well, if something sticks out, I mean, it's obviously 
it's sort of ingrained in, in your brain once yeah. you see it. So I think it's an extremely valid point that you have. That is my headphones coming down <laughs> on my head a little more. Let's talk about what we, uh, we kind of talked about what we, we didn't like. About, Did, uh, yeah. Does anyone have any points about the movie that they did not enjoy that we have not already discussed? Anyone? We all look at Justin. Anyone? Yeah, uh, for, for people that aren't I, here. I hate every... No, no I, I, don't, I don't have anything else. Um, honestly, like I said, I, the, the monster action in this movie is so great and the, the suits are so great and just, ah, love it so much. The uh, the other thing I would I would say is there are again some small pinpoint areas where you could say, um, don't you think Godzilla's head should move right there, and don't you think Mothra's wings should be flapping just a little more right there? The only thing I had the only time that happened for the Mothra's wings were when she was sneaking behind Godzilla and her, yeah. her sneak, wings sneak, were sneak. pretty much not moving. But well, she, she, was well, yeah, she, was she was trying to be quiet. Yeah, right. Yes. Clearly. Any more movement and the, the buffeting of the wings would have alerted Godzilla. He would have turned You know, around. birds do an awful lot of coasting. That's a big yes, part of what birds they do. They do. So. They do coast. And I'm butterflies sure are smaller than maybe turtles, yeah. right? So maybe there was a lot of wind, like going the other direction, and so that's how she was able to just stay a lot. Float. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Totally so, works. See, we figured it out. Yeah. Uh, anyone have any uh, any other thoughts they want to share specifically on this film, Tiger? Uh, I just really like it. I have one question: Were GPS GPSs invented back then? Mm, yes, 2000, I would say yes. Two thousand. 2003 is when this film came out, so I would say yes, yes, they were they were definitely in play. Someone should get a skin with the Mothra symbol and put it around the GPS. Oh, yeah. that'd be cool. <laughs> that would be pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, or just a compass. Turn, yeah. turn left now. <laughs> 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 or just two t- two tiny twin voices saying, "Turn left right now." <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That was, that was well done. I, I'm creeped out. <laughs> uh, so, actually, had you guys you seen Mothra in a film before, right? Yes. No, you'd never seen Mothra in a film. No, I, I'm pretty sure this is the first time I've seen Mothra. My God. Oh my God. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. So you've never seen Weird the fairies. Enough. No, I've never seen the fairies. I know that for sure. Oh. I've never heard the Mothra song. Hmm. Well, and this movie is definitely laden with references to not just the original Mothra film, but any pretty much any other film Mothra's been in. Do all do the fairies always show up when Mothra comes around? Yes. Okay. The okay. Moth, Mothra and the fairies go hand in hand and claw. Yes. Well, clearly then I've never seen a Mothra film because the twins were new to me. Yes, well, there are also... Tiny humanoids showing up was definitely something that stood out. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Did, now, did you did your brain have a problem with that? No, not at all. Okay, good. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> my, my problem was with creepy necks, but, you know, I guess I, I'm the only one who uh, who stands by that. So, oh, so speaking of necks, here's something I want to talk about. Uh, William Shatner? It, we, could, we definitely need to talk about... <laughs> That's right. We definitely need to talk about Shatner's on. But uh, before we get to that... Um, I have to say that I absolutely love the fact that the monster, one of the monsters from Yogg, the space amoeba, Kamiba, was uh, was dead on the beach in this film. I loved how they added that. It was a really cool. Because well, the, the the crab monster, I cut at him before he fell into the volcano. Right. I don't remember how that movie ended. Yeah, but the, <laughs> the point, the point, Justin, is that a giant monster killed the turtle and the 
giant monster was Godzilla. Oh, I thought the giant monster was the crab thing that fell into the volcano. No, that's no. what they're they're saying. <laughs> no, I, I'm just being difficult. <laughs> um, anyway, that was something I really, really enjoyed about this film. And it's sort of one of those things where because the crab... Sorry. God. <laughs> You're a jerk. <laughs> Ruiner. <laughs> Ruiner of things. This wouldn't be the first podcast I've ruined. Because the giant turtle monster, Kamiba... Uh, there is another giant turtle monster that people have always wanted to fight Godzilla, Gamera, obviously. That's what I'm talking about. The fact that, you know, they've sort of had this giant turtle dead in the... <laughs> you know, if somebody hasn't seen Yogg... And, you know, Toho had, like, problems with um, with Kaneko using Varan and Angula saying, oh, nobody's going to remember them. Uh, nobody's... Definitely no one's going to remember Kamiba. So... I'm sure kids were on the like in the theater going, "Why is Gamera dead on the beach?" <laughs> anyway, I just love that. But let's talk about uh, let's talk about Shatner's song. Um, <laughs> yeah. So the the observation was made, and I am not going to be able to find his name anytime soon. My phone is away from me. But uh, the the prime minister in this film, which is also the same guy who played the military general fellow from the Heisei films um, that he kind of looks like William Shatner and I have to say <laughs> with the suit that he was wearing he really looks like a Japanese William Shatner yeah it I, was, I was thoroughly amused by that yeah just Justin pointed that out and that was all I all I could see then every time he came up on the screen well I didn't point out the Jack Black uh, reporter so no wait there was a Jack Black reporter because we had um, Alan Moore we had Alan we had Moore, Alan Moore. Right. In, the, in, in, the, in the helicopter the one who had the microphone who was kind of hovering over the cameraman he kind of looked like Jack Black interesting hmm <laughs> I, I was just thinking. weren't you supposed to be reading uh, huh <laughs> yeah we watched the subtitle version yeah. um, what what was the story again I was busy looking <laughs> yeah. for celebrities yeah in weird objects during the rush scenes yeah so the yeah <laughs> Uh, yeah, speaking of weird objects in the rush scenes, um, every scene with people running, now you've got me looking to see what they're carrying. Oh, yes. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, there was no globes in this one. Yeah, that's what I was looking for. Right, but there was uh, crazy monks with uh, scrolls. Oh. <laughs> they dropped those scrolls. Well, too. They, they did a terrible job. Have, yeah, they probably shouldn't have carried them on a flat plate. <laughs> was, I would suggest maybe a basket or, or a bag. Yeah, the monks sort of are satchel. like, why don't we have briefcases? <laughs> To carry our important papers. That's right. uh, who's got any other last thoughts about this film? Anyone? Should we keep going? Uh, I think that the human story in this one is probably one of my favorites too. As far as it not really, not really bothering the the story of the monsters. I mean, it 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 played well with the monsters, and mm-hmm. it didn't seem like they were supposed to be our focus, or you know, it felt pretty evenly split between the humans and the monsters and and uh, one of the best uses of a child in one of these movies that I, in in the movies that I've seen anyway that's a that's a good point because I barely remember the child at all so <laughs> yes that's clearly uh, when and that's good from the standpoint of usually the children in these movies are fairly annoying don't take offense to what I'm saying, Tiger. Yeah, I don't. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Just want to make sure. I thought, you, I thought there was like a look of death annoying. on your face. No, it's the, you, it's can, just, you can punch Justin. It's yeah, it's just the, the <laughs> headphones on my head are acting kind of funny. Okay. Oh. Well, uh, if there are 
any other thoughts? And I think we're going to go ahead and hear what everybody else had to say because we got a lot of submissions. Before we get started, I just want to say that with so many submissions, we um, I had to do some creative editing. So uh, apologies in advance, but I really wanted to get everybody's thoughts in for this. And uh, I think it should be fine. Godzilla Tokyo SOS is the second movie of the Millennium series that Jason ever saw. And he has to say that it is one of the best, although his favorite is still Giant Monsters All Attack. The fight scenes are amazing. Lots of movement and less sumo-style fighting are the things Jason remembers most. In many rewatches of older Godzilla movies, Jason spends more time looking at the scenery instead of the monster battles, but this movie and its prequel still get him to watch the actual battles. All in all, this one is in his top five Godzilla movies of all time, and he has indeed shown this to non-kaiju fans and gotten good comments about it. Jamie says that there is little to hate about this movie, but what bugged him the most were the subtitles. He lived in Japan for a year, the same year that Tokyo SOS was released, and studied Japanese for five years before that. Most of the subtitles by Columbia TriStar were bad. Even the small stuff, such as calling Kiryu Mechagodzilla, and simple grammatical mistakes could be found. Once past that, Jamie felt that Tokyo SOS was a fantastic Godzilla movie, and it would be one to show to newcomers easily. The pacing was good, and it feels as though Toho learned a lot from Shusuke Kaneko's use of practical and CGI effects in not only the Gamera trilogy, but his direction of the Godzilla movie as well. It was, great, it was a great movie, and he had a lot of fun rediscovering it in preparation for the homework. Cameron feels that Godzilla Tokyo SOS is one of the better Millennium films. He really loves... Kiru more than any other Mechagodzilla. This Godzilla suit also happens to be one of his favorites. Mothra moved very well in this movie compared to her other appearances. Now if only we could get more of Batra. When Japan gets back to making these movies, Cameron would like to see a sequel from this director. Joe had forgotten how much he enjoyed this film. How great it was to see Koizumi, uh, sorry, Hiroshi Koizumi as Dr. Shinichi Chuo and the original Mothra. From the original Mothra. Ugh. I'm doing terribly. He also liked the the Akane Yushiro character played by Yumiko Shaku from the previous film. The monsters really looked good in the film, and although the fight between Mothra and Godzilla was a bit stiff, it was still enjoyable and contained a few exciting money shots. The look of Mothra and the very uh, the look of Mothra was very good, even if it was a bit too furry in his opinion. He has always really liked the look of the new Godzilla since Godzilla 2000, and uh, even if the movements by suit actor Tsutomu Kitagawa were a bit stiff. The plot is a bit simplistic, but it does move along at a nice pl- nice pace. <laughs> I'm laughing at myself for screwing up. Uh, the direction by Mizaki Tezuka was well done, in his opinion. Uh, Mechagodzilla has always been a favorite of his, and Joe likes him best in this film. Tokyo SOS is, is an enjoyable entry in the franchise and most likely one of his favorite in the Millennium series. Robert says that even though Godzilla Tokyo SOS is one of his favorites, it still has some flaws. The music in the movie is incredible, being one of the most moving and exciting scores written for a Godzilla film. He likes that the plot continues from the previous film and ties into the original Mothra and even Yogg. Yet the movie becomes trapped by driving too much plot from previous flicks. How many times are we supposed to be surprised by two Mothra larvae hatching, or by the way their webs are the only thing that can defeat Godzilla? The fight between Godzilla and Kiru is Robert's favorite all-time battle. It's just really annoying that they keep interrupting it by cutting to the other plot lines, which really slows down the action. Another annoyance is the use of Mecha-G in the dub and subtitles when the actors are plainly speaking Kiru. Hey Sony, continuity anyone? Despite their 
these blemishes, Godzilla Tokyo SOS finds its way regularly into Robert's DVD player. Bill feels that Tokyo SOS is easily the best shot, written, and directed G-film since the Showa series. The special effects were all around really well executed, especially inserting live action into model shots. Bill is not a big fan of her, but this movie presented the best Mothra. The suit-slash-model was beautiful, and the wings actually moved somewhat realistically. And when she sacrificed herself to protect the larva, it actually brought a tear to his eye. There were some nice dynamics between the major characters. He all, uh, she, he, uh, say that again. He actually enjoyed the relationship of the boy and his grandpa, and the kid wasn't annoying at all. All the Japanese actors were great. The other side of the coin, however, the American slash English speaking actors were horrible. The U.S. sub scene reminded Bill of the sub scene from King Kong versus Godzilla, and not in a good way. He has to say this now might be his favorite post Showa film. Sorry, Godzilla X Mechagirus. For Eric, Tokyo SOS was the true end of the Millennium series. When Mechagodzilla is sinking into the ocean with Godzilla, he gets a sense of closure as they drift into the dark blue depths. Another major thing that he likes about this movie is Godzilla's look. While in Godzilla 2000, he had these huge, over-exaggerated spikes, Toho toned them down in this movie, and they look more proportional and sharp. This Godzilla is his second all-time favorite version of the Big G, only falling short to the 89-91 to look. Eric's dislike of the film was Mothra being in it. Ooh. While he's not a Mothra hater, Toho could have used another monster, like Batra or something to change it up. After all, Mothra did appear in... Godzilla Mothra King Ghidorah. Oh, well, thank you. We, we say GMK. Um, G- GMK, uh, which was two years before this movie, and not to mention Final Wars. She just seemed overused. But overall, this movie, along with its prequel, Godzilla against Mechagodzilla, are ranked second and third, SOS being second, and Godzilla Mothra King Ghidorah being first in the Millennium series. Brian really wanted to like this movie a lot more than he did. Tokyo SOS had the potential to be one of the really great Godzilla films. The production values were there. The models and special effects are are some of the best in the series. The fights between Kiryu and Godzilla were a lot of fun, and it has very bombastic John Williams-y kind of score. Unfortunately, its shortcomings are hard to ignore. While there was plenty of monster fighting, the human scenes are intercut much too often and for too long of a time, and it made it difficult... Yeah. And it made it so that anytime you started getting invested in the battle, the human parts would ruin the flow of the movie. Along with that, Mothra just doesn't have enough fight time. Brian's never really been convinced of Mothra as a formidable Godzilla opponent, and this film highlights that once again. The last issue he has is that the story, for lack of a better term, is really stupid. There's a whole moral dilemma of forcing the spirit of the old Godzilla to fight against its will, but no one ever brings up the fact that this was the creature that killed millions of people in cold blood long ago. Why should anyone care what it wants? And the whole idea of life is meant to live within the time nature allows is considered obsolete when you realize that the original Godzilla was killed by a man-made object and not by nature. Overall, Brandon likes the flick and the prior one. He enjoyed the idea of Mecha Godzilla being built over the bones of the original Godzilla. The whole concept of the Mothra twins warning the humans that no one can possess the dead was a bit strange, but that could just be something lost in the translation. He did like the return of Mothra and the homage to the original Mothra vs. Godzilla, with Mothra fighting and then dying only to have her babies come to save the day. It was nice to see Hiroshi Koizumi in in a Big G movie again. 
He wouldn't show this one at first to a new Big G fan, but would say it's in the mid top 10. Out of the... Bleh. <laughs> Sorry. My rad. <laughs> Out of all the Godzilla movies Tito has seen, he's got to say this is probably one of the better ones. It's got a nice plot, music, characters, and script. He thought it was interesting how Godzilla's soul was attached to the bones and how Mechagodzilla ended up taking him out to sea so they could both finally just rest peacefully. All in all, a good movie. And if he has, if he had to choose one Godzilla movie to show someone just getting into the genre, this might be it. Ron's thoughts on Tokyo SOS are good. The Mothra prop was very good and lifelike. Mechagodzilla was very nice, although he misses the absolute zero canon. Godzilla looked great, and he would put the suit right up there with the 1984 version. The only gripes he has are Mechagodzilla being the hero, it just doesn't work for him, and Godzilla losing the battle. Overall, Godzilla Tokyo SOS is a very nice movie and should be shown to anybody who's never seen a Godzilla movie before. David loves Tokyo SOS. It's his favorite of the Millennium series. Not only is the story good, but the monster fights are good. The acting is good. The corniness corniness is good. The CG is good. This may very well be the only Godzilla movie where you can say that the CG looks good. Not only that, but the buildings in this movie crumble like unlike any he's ever seen before. Just awesome. Tokyo SOS is easily one of James' favorite movies from the Millennium Era, tied for first alongside Godzilla Mothra King Ghidra. The action is awesome, the monster designs are great, and the humans aren't overly annoying. This movie produced his favorite version of Mechagodzilla, Kiru. As James watched, he found himself a little bit confused about some of the events going on in this movie. While he had this movie in his collection for about two years now, he only just now learned that it had a prequel. Derp. Derp. (laughs) The only thing that bothered him was how the Prime Minister was so against Mothra protecting the city. This wouldn't bother James if he suddenly flip-flopped, turn page chime now, at the end, saying how he doesn't care how many lives (laughs) and what equipment is lost to save Mothra. Scott thinks this is a very strong entry in the Millennium series. The monster action was good, the sets very detailed, and he thought the human cast acted their parts well. The human plot parts of the movies are where Godzilla films are... uh, Let me say that again. The human (laughs) plot parts of the movies are where Godzilla films sometimes are a little lax. As one of Scott's favorite Toho actors, it was good to see Hiroshi Kozumi again on the screen. Uh, The monster fight scenes were very well done, and he thought it was a nice homage to the 64 movie by having the twin larva. He still can't believe the two little caterpillars beat Godzilla in that movie. At least they had Kiryu to help him this time. And it's always fun to see Mothra do his favorite trick, where she turns into the FMOD, the Flaming Moth of Death, much to his best friend's chagrin. She's a huge Mothra fan. It never gets old. This is Kevin's second favorite movie after GMK in the Millennium series. Unlike most fans, he was glad to hear that it would be a direct sequel to Godzilla X, X Mega Godzilla. Godzilla with uh, I had it with a mostly I know you repair. did. I know you had it. I'm this, sorry. This no, that's okay. This is this is the joy of not having read through these the first time. I, I getting I'm getting to it and going. Uh, it's a word. No, it's letters. Okay, with a mostly repaired. Mechagodzilla continuing its role against Godzilla until he heard that Hiroshi Kaizuma, Kaizumi mm, yeah. nah, would be reprising his role from the original Mothra movie. He was not too thrilled to hear that Mothra would make yet another appearance. The monsters all look great, especially the new Mothra and Godzilla with a better looking redesigned head. The special effects and CG work are quite well done with only a couple poorly shot scenes. Most notably, to him at least, were a bird's eye view of Godzilla stomping 
up a street that looked very plain with under-detailed, poorly lit buildings. It looked more like a scene you would see in a making-of featurette and a scene where Mothra just hovers, floats in the air without her wings flapping or flapping very slowly over the school. We talked about that one, too. Yeah, we did. There are also a few WTH instances where Godzilla just stands and stares instead of reacting slash attacking. The end battle was a bit disappointing. Seeing Godzilla look so weak and getting beaten as easily as he did was just too un-Godzilla-like. The other disappointing part of this movie was getting rid of Godzilla by dumping him in the sea. Again! Even with his nitpicking, Kevin still enjoyed watching Tokyo SOS and has seen it several times, including once on the big screen. And there you have it. That's the Daikaiju discussion. We ripped through that super quick. Thank you so much to everybody for submitting. Seriously. Um, A lot of really good thoughts. Oh, absolutely. Uh, You know, this is actually... This is... I. A lot of people who've been longtime listeners know this, but this was something that um, I sort of thought about doing. And another listener, actually from Wales, a Welsh gentleman uh, whose name escapes me at the moment because I'm a terrible person. You know, uh, that, that guy from Wales. That guy from Wales. The um, He suggested doing something along these lines. And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, this is something I kind of wanted to do anyway. So he helped me sort of hammer out the Daikaiju discussion details. It's three Ds for you, and uh, and yeah, I think it's been a smash, smashing success so far. I wish I could read everybody's thoughts and submissions just as they come, you know, as they come in, but there's just not enough time in the day, really. And honestly, reading through all those and hearing all all of that makes me kind of, I mean, I I enjoyed this movie enough to sit down and watch it again anyway, but but reading people's opinions of it makes me want to sit down and watch again for what it is that they're talking about and kind of, you know, see what it is that they're seeing. Yeah, I hear that, guys. Good job. Good job, class. A plus. A plus. <laughs> nice. Well, not all of you would get an A plus, but that's Aww. because I'm a, I'm a grammar Nazi. How about, how about gold stars? Let's give them all gold okay. stars. Everybody gets a gold star. <laughs> Everybody gets a gold nuclear reactor symbol. Uh, so as I said earlier, we're, we're playing mostly uh, Michiro Oshima's work. And so we're going to continue that right before we do the news with this song from Tokyo SOS called Adult Mothra X Godzilla 2. Mostly. United Nations reporter Eric Carter with the news. 
The world is stunned to discover that prehistoric creatures exist in the 20th century. The armies have been alerted as we wait for more news from Japan. So really not a lot of news to cover this this uh, this episode. I did want to mention that Sci-Fi Japan uh, has an article about Gamera the Brave, the very last Godzilla movie to come out, as uh, is going to be released by Media Blasters on Blu-ray. Huzzah! Woo! Uh, the good news is it's going to be taking. Uh, it's going to be released. Hopefully, I mean, unless there are some problems, it'll be released before we do our Daikaiju discussion. So everybody, make sure they buy the Blu-ray. Woo! Yeah, more woos. Uh, woos all around. Also on Sci-Fi Japan, something I found very interesting was uh, uh, recently in in Japan they had Alien Day, and um, there are. <laughs> I'll have a link in the show notes, obviously, to all these. Uh, but they had photos. Uh, they have photos of some Ultraman monsters. Uh, mostly, I think they're all aliens, actually. Adorable. Adorable aliens. Um, specifically, the, my favorite is is one called Dada, which um, is, a, according to August, that's um, actually a reference to the Dada art movement. He's this one that looks like a zebra, zebra striped guy. Oh yes, I saw yeah. that one. Uh, I've got a figure of him. That's like one. I think I only have like three or four Ultraman monster figures, and he's one of the ones I have. I'm pretty sure he's over here. I'm, but, lo- uh, I'm looking about the room. Uh, anyway, so I'll have a link in the show notes to that. It's, it's just kind of cool to see. Also, uh, this just came out today. They just posted a little tiny article that I linked to on the Facebook page about Ultraman Street which is uh, that same street that I went down when I was in Japan because I'm so fancy. Uh, so uh, I'll probably have a link in the show notes to that because I just talked about it. Right. Good job. Last but not least, uh, and as I blow out my my peaks here on the, on the podcast recording, um, uh, Godzilla has been released on Blu-ray. The very first movie has been released on Blu-ray from Criterion. Uh, I have it in my possession. Unfortunately, my Blu-ray player is not awesome enough to play it right now. Dear. I think I have to update it, according to Jeff, who gave that to me. However, don't let that stop you from reading Matt Frank's detailed review on his DeviantArt page. I will have a link. Guess where? Uh, in the show notes. Oh, my God. Yes. It's Good like I've job. been here before. It's like, you're, it's like you're a co-host. You are a co-host. Holy, <laughs> Holy smokes. Holy lit fins of nuclear power anyway so Only i'm link co-hosting the, duties batman yes exactly uh i'll have a link in the show notes to that moving on to local events we have a lot of things to talk about here because there are a ton a ton a ton of things uh if you're in the portland area i highly suggest you check some of these out uh unless you are a dude then you definitely don't want to go to this first one because you will not be allowed on february 4th at the hollywood things from another world uh they are hosting a night called Ladies' Night Drink and Draw. And I would like to say that I know all about this and that it was an amazing event last time. I know it was an amazing event because I heard about it being an amazing event, but uh, no dudes allowed, essentially. Uh, I'll have a link in the show notes to the um, TFAW Facebook page, I think, actually. This is a, this is an, oh, uh, Facebook you event. Know, event page sure, sure. on Facebook. And that starts at 7 p.m. at their Hollywood store, uh, located on Sandy Boulevard. Uh, the same night, uh-huh. Geek Lesk, you've heard the Mad Marquis on the show before, and uh, he's talked about Geek Lesk, and he's been on the Daikaiju discussions as well. They're hosting Geek Lesk Sally's Fourth at the Star Theater. Which is a uh, specifically 
while they're always geeky, this is a fantasy inspired oh, event, okay. I believe. Good and to know. Uh, good to know. it's uh it's 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 very fantasy focused and and uh they have two shows actually. That's that right. There are yes. two shows. There's a seven thirty and I think an, an eleven o'clock. Th- yeah. yeah, eleven or eleven thirty show, which um Tickets are going fast, so if you do have interest in going to that, I suggest that you check that out uh, ASAP. Yeah, and the Star Theater. I went there on uh, New Year's Eve. Nice venue. Nice venue, Uh, despite it being in downtown Portland. The next event on our thing is, of course, something we are pretty much always going to, and that is Geek Trivia at the McMinniman's Kennedy School. That's going to be on February 7th. It starts at 7 p.m., but you do want to get there super early. Can I say hell? You can say hell. Because I just did. Uh, come hell or high water, that's... <laughs> oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah. Okay, yeah. We are there. We're pretty much there. I mean, yeah. I think we, we took uh, this last year. I only missed one one Two. night. Well, hang on a second. Mm. Just a moment, Heather. Woo. I missed one night because I was out of town, and I missed an, another night because... Oh, no, actually, I missed two, didn't I? Because I was in Japan. Or did I? Okay. No, Maybe you missed not. one in Japan. I missed one... While I was in Japan? Yes. And then I missed one when I was in Omaha. And then I missed one because we all decided not to go. Right. We, we all banned, had... We banned it that night, you guys. Yeah. No, we missed it because it, it was the holidays. Yeah. And we all had stuff going on. We but, certainly did. But Which, truth be told, we really did want to Skype you in from Japan. It would have been cool. It's Well, it is geek trivia. And like how... how how much geekier can you really get than Skyping someone in from Japan? And they have Wi-Fi there. Right. Just saying. Okay, so uh, uh, the next event anyway. is uh, February 8th. The um, Okay, so... Little backstory. Little backstory here. There's a comic... We've talked called, about, I believe. ...called Boilerplate, uh, which is created by Paul Guinan and Anya... Ugh, I screwed it up. I'm sorry. Anina Bennett. Uh, it's an amazing series called Boilerplate, and uh, they have done something new. They've actually created a new book called Frank Reed, which... I don't even want to go into the backstory behind it because it's actually really, really interesting. Yeah. Uh, Frank Reed is getting, uh, it's a it's a book and it's getting released and they're having three parties. And so this is the first of three. This one is going to be The Land, I believe. It's going to be at Floating World Comics and it's that's at 6 p.m. That's in downtown Portland, right in the old town, Chinatown area. Uh, and... You know, go to any three of these events. I very well, I very well may be at all of the events. To be perfectly honest, if my schedule allows, I'm going to be at, I'm going to be at all of them because yeah. they they are each being, uh, there there is there is a focus from different local groups as well. There's going to be local participants. Uh, I know that PDX Yar is going to be participating oh, in cool. the C event. I know that makes sense. Um, the Alter Ego Society is doing the air. They are the fo- they are focusing on the air event because okay. you know superheroes fly. Yes, that's the yes. Uh, the crossover there that they that they have. And um, hmm. I think uh, the Kaiju Cast is uh, for the land because I don't remember who's a doing lot of land. no, that's not that we never got asked to do that. No, I don't remember who's doing land. Anyway, I don't. We don't need to spend a ton of time no. on this, but what. I don't know how to like emphatically say this without saying like I'm not kidding. Like Paul Guinan and Anina Bennett, they they produce quality materials a little more so than than when I normally you know talk people up. Uh, if anybody wants to check out Boilerplate online, that's a really great starting point, it jump is. off point. Um, and it's 
they have done an amazing thing with this with this Frank Reed stuff. So yeah, check and it it's, out. I mean, they really they really kind of do something that you haven't really seen before. Mm. I should post a link to their website so you can look hey, at that stuff in what the show notes. Idea. In the show notes, yeah. What a great idea! There we go. Look at that. Thanks, Heather. Um, following that, we've got uh, February twelfth, The Walking Dead returns to the Hollywood Theater, and that's going to be nine p.m. That's basically just uh, Hollywood Theater is showing the episode as it airs on AMC. It's totally free to go. Totally free. You do have to be. Uh, you have to be over twenty one. Yeah, believe, you do have to be twenty one and up. But um, but that's awesome. So if you're in that area or have the ability to go. It's uh, it's pretty great to get to watch it with a theater full of like-minded people. Agreed. And then February 14th, Valentine's Day, you guys. Uh, the Mad Marquis is going to be putting on his Burley Namicon at the Lovecraft Bar. This is the Heartbreak Edition. I'll have a link in the show notes to that as well. Uh, February 15th, we have the next uh, book launch tour for Frank Reed at Bridge City Comics. Our good friend Michael Ring at Bridge City Comics is hosting that signing. He gives good hugs. He does. That's going to be at 6 p.m. Uh, again, link in the show notes. Yada yada. And then February 17th. This is a this is a uh, a, a little bit of uh, mad local pride here that we bring this one to you. And I think both of us are extremely excited about the show. I agree. Yeah, for sure. I know I am. Uh, so last year, we talked about this uh, during the Emerald City show and then also a little bit later uh, we talked about this uh, when we played the Adam Warrock song uh, that I got permission to play. Kirby Crackle is a band, is a nerd nerd rock band that's, that played at Emerald City uh, at the Hard Rock Cafe. They're a, I mean, seriously, it's like lyrically nerdy stuff. I think the song that pops into my head right now when I think about Kirby Crackle is about the Watcher in Marvel Comics. So... They're legit. Um, and anyway, they're playing a show, and Adam Warrock is opening. But not only Adam Warrock, which is awesome, and I'd totally go to that by myself. Which is just fantastic nerdcore. If you're not familiar with him, he does uh, geek and nerd-influenced hip-hop. Absolutely. And he's spectacular. But opening up for the, both of them are... The Double Clicks. And uh, we played a Double Clicks song a couple of episodes ago. That's their Godzilla song. And uh, not only are they going to be there, but they also have a new CD out, right? They they do have a CD out, and uh, I purchased it at their last local show for $10. But you can also uh, purchase the download, uh, downloadable version for, I think, like $5. On their website. Yeah, right? yeah. And, uh, and it is called Beta Testing 123, and it's uh, it's pretty spectacular. And it has the Godzilla Live version on it, which yeah, is great. Yeah, so if you liked, if you when you heard that song on the Kaiju Cast a couple couple of episodes ago, if you liked that song, it is on the CD. Yes. And they're they're um, kind of adorable. The, yeah. the sisters, they're they're pretty cool. Yeah, they really are. But that's awesome. And they've uh, you know they're just they're doing nothing but getting bigger as far as like their following and everything. So if you have a chance to go to this show, this is really like get in. Well, the getting in's good because they've opened for. Uh, Will Wheaton and uh, yeah, Paul and Storm and Paul and Storm thing. Yeah, yeah. So they are they are just doing nothing but climbing the geek ladder. So see them while the scene's good, people. Totally. So that is uh, February seventeenth, six thirty p.m. According to the website I was looking at, at the Mount Tabor Theater on Hawthorne. 
Uh, February 21st, we've got the second Geek Trivia of the Month, again at the McMinimins Kennedy School, hosted by The Court and the Fat Boy. Free all ages, but it is an R-rated event, so keep your bashful ears at home. Exactly. Uh, and then the last, uh, but not least, because good Lord, that's a lot of events. Uh, February 22nd, the very last of the uh, events for the Frank Reed book launch tour yes. at the Hollywood Things from Another World. Third and final. This is the, the Lancy, so this must be air. And that's going to be at 7 p.m. at the Hollywood Things from Another World. For everything, as always, we will have links in the show notes for all of these. Uh, the thing I want to say, I want to say two things before we close out the show completely for this episode. Episode 50, you guys. Seriously, is that like landmark? Monumental. Monumental. Um, uh, two things. One, I finally got some packaging for the CDs. Ooh. So I can stop being a slacker and I can send out people's prizes uh, pretty soon. Uh, sorry about the wait. I really do apologize. It kind of makes me feel bad when I walk down to get uh, make breakfast every morning and I see this giant pile of stuff on my table. Although at this point, it's kind of turning into camouflage. Like, <laughs> like my mail goes on top of it. I'm a bad person. Uh, but uh, He's building a fort out of yeah. all the things you won. People there is don't. a fort yeah. down there. I mean, it's, it's a huge amount of stuff. And it's it sucks because it's no girls allowed. So I, I don't get to play. <laughs> Fort's no girls allowed. That's not true for you, Heather. You can come into the fort anytime. Yay! Uh, so that was the first thing I wanted to say. Uh so I, I totally pressed pause on the recorder, but I, I actually forgot what the second thing I wanted to say was. Uh, that is that the next episode, not the next episode, but next month's Daikaiju discussion uh, is going to be for a fan favorite, Destroy All Monsters. Uh, if you just got the Blu-ray, this would be a great time to check that out. Uh, normally, I give you a due date, so let's do that. It would also be a good time to go out and buy said Blu-ray if you, oh, if you haven't. Oh, for sure, for sure. It's a, it is a fantastic presentation. That Blu-ray of Destroy All Monsters, let's just say, uh, obviously puts everything to shame that's been released here in the States of Destroy All Monsters, but it is a fantastic presentation. It's very well done. It's got the AIP dub and the international dub, and it looks pretty good. I mean, it looks, it's a Blu-ray and it's a movie that came out in 1968. So let's be honest. It's not going to look like the book of Eli. There's, there's no the book of Eli. That was like the first, choice. that was the first movie I watched here on the projector. Oh, actually. okay. <laughs> Interesting choice. Um, yeah, there, there's only so much movie magic can be done. So let's say that the deadline for getting your homework in is going to be February 25th, which is a Saturday. We will be recording sometime after February 25th and uploading that episode to the internets. I gave some people a little bit of slack when it came to this month and uh, getting their homework in. I kind of extended the deadline, so to speak. I can't do that this time. We'll be probably watching the movie that Saturday or that Sunday and then doing the recording. He had to give you guys slack because he gave those of us that actually participate in the discussion uh, zero notice. As far as when we were, it was like, hey, guys, can you come over tomorrow? Yes, and that was a huge mistake on my part. For which, which, for the record, for the recorded record, I apologize profusely in my Facebook messaging. Which is the the sole reason that I'm looking at you cautiously when you say the 25th, because that just seems, you know, quite late in the month, but... You appear to know what you're doing, so I am going to go with it. Podcast professional, that's what I am. 
I think it says that next to my uh, ID on my license here. Anyway, we are literally closing out the show now because we've got to get this thing wrapped up. If you found the Kaiju Cast through iTunes or some other podcast directory and you'd like to experience the wonder and the amazement and the awesomeness of KaijuCast.com, point your web browsers at that U- URL. Uh, I have not had anything to eat today, and I've been <laughs> drinking beer. So apologies. Delicious. Apologies beer. all around. Uh, it's uh, there's all sorts of stuff on there, but really, it's mostly mostly <laughs> mostly dedicated. It's a nice to, website. It's mostly just it's a beautiful website, man. I spent so much time on the design. Anyway, it's mostly dedicated just to the podcast, but any other um, articles that I've posted will be on there, like the review of the Godzilla issue one. And, uh, I mean, most importantly to me is the list of Daikaiju discussion episodes and when we will be watching whichever movie. There's a huge schedule. Just check the top of the page. There are some buttons at the top. Anyway, uh, there are also links to the Facebook page and the Twitter page. Uh, If you'd like to follow us, we'd love to have you, even though... um, I don't use the Twitter very much, and every stupid month I say, i got to do that more. Maybe I should hire Heather to do my Twittering for me. I can totally do that. Okay. It pays twice as much as you're making now. Sweet. On the Kaiju Cast. Wait a minute. <laughs> anyway, uh, <clears throat> the Facebook page, I end up using a lot. I post a lot of stuff to the Facebook page, so make sure you check that out. Uh, am I missing something? Am I forgetting something? Yes. If you want to send your uh, thoughts, questions, and submissions into the Daikaiju discussion, you need to send that to controller at kaijucast.com. That is uh, where all the all the emails take place. If you want to send me an email about the Kaiju Cast, that would also be welcome. Uh, if, you, uh, if you're doing this Daikaiju discussions, though, try and use Daikaiju discussion in the subject so I can find it easily. I had a little bit of trouble this month, you guys, so let's fix that problem, okay? And uh, I don't know where that voice came from, but it it's there. It's I already been recorded. Pretty sure it came from beer. <laughs> it came from beer. D- this episode is brought to you by <laughs> McMiniman's Nut Brown. Anyway. And the letter B. <laughs> and the letter B. The letter G. Uh, we are literally, I'm stopping this. This is ridiculous. Uh, if you have anything you'd like to say, please email me. Uh, I love hearing from you guys. And uh, how do we always close out the show, Heather? We always say, Jamata. Jamata. And so, yeah, so we say that. <laughs> uh, this, you know, I'm not, it's not that I'm drunk. It's just that I have not. Do we have nothing. another song? No. Yes. Hey, yes. we should play that. We're closing out the show with Akira Fukube's <laughs> song called Counter Monster Warfare from Destroy All Monsters, which is the next Daikaiju discussion film. Uh, we'll talk to you in February. February. Thank you.